Hello. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ciao. Hello. Welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. Today we're recording live from PGDIS with our very own Dr. Tony Gordon, VP of Global Genomics Business Development. Hi there. It's great to be here at uh, PGDIS in Berlin. So, Tony, one of the things we've been looking forward to this year is the updated PGDIS position statement on the transfer of mosaic embryos. If you've listened to our other podcasts, you may have heard Tony in conversation with Manuel Viotti and Mark Hughes. They discussed how mosaicism has been there since the beginning, but only relatively recently, with the incredible advancements in technology, have we been able to see it. Mark compared this to having a Hubble telescope in PGTA, which now allows us to detect the previously undetected. So, Tony, can you speak to us about the significance of the PGDIS position statement, of which you were a co-author, on the transfer of mosaic embryos and why it's been so eagerly awaited? Thanks. Uh, Yeah, it's been three years since, since our previous position statement. And in that time, our understanding of the biology of mosaic embryos has really rapidly advanced to from a fairly conservative position statement um, previously, as you might expect when you discover something new, to a position statement that I think gives a hope for a lot of patients that we now have knowledge of mosaic embryos, their impact, and whether we should consider them for transfer in a prioritized fashion. Uh, And I think the position statement is much stronger in recommending the transfer of mosaic embryos if no euploids can be found. So I think it's a good thing for patients. Thank you. And um, how do these guidelines um, and how are they going to impact PGTA testing at a clinical level? Yeah, so there's some fairly sort of, um, straightforward guidelines now here that say that, you know, you should report low-level and high-level mosaics, give recommendations for cutoffs. Uh, also, that labs should not uh, report mosaics as aneuploid, which I think is great for patients because it gives them more embryos to consider for transfer, and that we should uh, act differently in exactly how we treat them in the IVF lab. And those differences in terms of not masking mosaicism, in terms of reporting mosaicism, are, I think, beneficial to patients uh, and the clinicians in offering more embryos that are going to be suitable for transfer now. Okay, and how will this position impact communication to those patients about mosaic embryo results? Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting question. Clearly, you know, uh, informing patients of mosaics is always difficult because we used to go from a digital fashion of, you know, euploid, aneuploid, and it was fairly sort of straightforward to this mixed world of mosaics, some euploid, some aneuploid cells there. But I think this position statement helps us to say, so, for instance, in the previous position statements, there was recommendations for not transferring mosaics of known um, uh, live birth trisomies, whereas now it's much more generally treating mosaics, um, so we can be a little bit more, yes, you should consider them. Also, we have the data to say that actually the vast majority of times, if you transfer a mosaic, it results in a healthy live birth. That is not to say that mosaics don't exist, as some people might suggest, or that mosaicism transfer is not without some risks above the transfer of a euploid. So, you know, I think that's something we have to consider. But I think overall, it helps with uh, giving us slightly more certain message to the patients. So moving on from the position statement, um, what other talks are you looking forward to at PGDIS this year? Well, it's notable that there are a number of uh, research talks on two themes. 
universal PGTM. Um, so that's um, sequencing that can do PGTA and PGTM at the same time and moves on to use sequencing for PGTM. I think that's going to be a really interesting topic. So looking forward to strategies that people are talking about for that. And also the sequencing of embryos, like whole genome sequencing or exome sequencing of embryos, which is purely research, not something that's really... <laughs> you know real time for the clinics right now but a really interesting subject for the next 20 years of pgdis okay so what about our focus as cooper this year what talks are we giving um i actually hear that you're a chair for a session yeah there's uh one oral presentation that uh catherine sanders who is a former phd student of uh cooper social of uh Myself as a supervisor and Dan Griffin at the University of Kent is talking about the variability of PGTA results across uh, a clinical group to see how they vary between clinic to clinic. Uh, and then we have a talk on the use of AI in PGT and use of AI on IVF, which I think was meant to be given by Josh Blazer, but unfortunately, due to circumstances, I think it's going to be given by Mike Large. Um, and that's going to be really interesting because using AI is described quite a lot as a future-looking area of uh, IVF and PGT. But here at Cooper Surgical, of course, we've been using AI for the past couple of years to remove subjectivity from all our testing. And our testing is purely run on AI, which is fantastic if you're the poor person as a lab manager or lab director like I uh, used to be so that you can be completely confident that you get consistency and reduction of subjectivity in your PGT testing. And are those all of our PGT tests using an AI platform? So at the moment, it's PGTA and PGTSR. PGTM is still a very manual process, but uh, stay tuned and we've got some things coming along in the future on that area. So I'm now joined with Christine McWilliams, who is our medical director. Um, and I'm going to be talking to Christine a little bit about the patient communication in terms of the transfer of mosaic embryos. Um, and that's considering the recent position statement that has been released at PGDIS. So, Christine, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Hi, absolutely happy to. Um, yeah, I was very uh, pleased to see that the updated position statement uh, continued to highlight the critical importance of patient communication regarding mosaicism and specifically uh, consenting of patients prior to mosaic transfer. Um, we have seen this as a really critical um, component of mosaic transfer, making sure patients are aware of the potential outcomes. Um, and I was also happy to see that uh, Manuel Viati published or presented some updated data, including even more outcomes of transfer of, of uh, mosaic embryos. Uh, work such as he's doing really helps to inform the counseling um, and the uh, consenting we provide to patients. So I think there's some really good points you make there about the importance of patient consent and um, really listening to patients' concerns in the whole PGT process. Um, and there's been quite a focus on PGTM at this conference. And can you talk to us a little bit about the talks that you've been to, which have been centered around PGTM? Yes, absolutely. There's been um, quite a, a focus on uh, single gene disorders at uh, PGDIS this year. Um, that includes uh, both uh, PGTM and how um, a number of laboratories are performing that test, different technologies and approaches that they're utilizing, but also um, 
information that we continue to learn about the human genome and human disease uh, that uh, highlights the, the need um, uh, to continue developing uh, technologies for, for PGTM. Uh, the conference actually started with a really um, wonderful talk by uh, Stiliano, Stilianos uh, Antonarakis, uh, who uh, presented uh, some updates now that the, uh, the full human genome has been sequenced. Um, and I was uh, surprised to, to hear um, he was stating that you know, new genes are being added, um, you know, that we're becoming aware of uh, every, every day, um, which again just uh, highlights the, the need to learn more about those genes and, uh, and any uh, effect they have with human disease. There's also been several talks on carrier screening um, and uh, the impact that uh, expanded carrier screening and continuing to add genes to those uh, carrier screening panels um, are doing for uh, couples needing PGTM to uh, eliminate uh, or reduce risk um, for uh, you know disorders on those on those panels. So I think that we'll see that uh, you know PGTM is going to be a huge focus in the years to come. And that was really highlighted by a number of um, talks that also looked at the the concept of universal PGT, which is a big uh, focus uh, at, at this uh, year's meeting as well. Um, and a lot of uh, enthusiasm and interest in, in looking at developing technologies that can study. Uh, PGTM, PGTA, PGTSR, all in uh, in one assay. Okay, so I'm now joined by Dr. Colleen Lynch, who is a senior medical scientific liaison here at Cooper Surgical, and I'm going to chat to her a little bit about some of the talks that she's been to, um, as well as the position statement on mosaicism. Um, so, Colleen, what did you think to the revised position statement? So, I think it's very important that we continue to collect data. Uh, and to revise our opinion and our advice to patients as we gather more retrospective data. Uh, and that's um, specifically um, what um, Dr. Viotti has been presenting uh, and uh, an amazing effort really to be able to collect that data from clinics in the first place. Such an important thing to do, but a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and we're really in the field seeing the benefit of that where we're now able to generate this position statement um, based on scientific evidence rather than um, use theoretical risk. And you were able to listen in on Dr. Catherine Saunders and Dr. Darren Griffin's talk this morning, which was a retrospective multi-centre study on PGTA to determine the efficacy and interclinic variation. And what did you think to that talk? Uh, I think uh, it addressed a really important point in terms of variation. Uh, historically, the variation in terms of the types of results people get from PGTA has been used as a tool against it. And I think uh, Catherine made a very important point, which is to highlight the large amounts of variation we see in terms of performance just for IVF. So it stands to reason a centre that has good IVF clinical outcomes should get good PTTA outcomes. A clinic which has poor IVF outcomes is going to get potentially poorer PGTA outcomes. And that's not a reflection on the technology of PGTA, that some people do it well and some people do it badly. We were both very lucky to be in the lecture theatre for the fantastic talk by 
the geneticist Stilianos yesterday. Um, what were the main kind of take homes for you from that conversation? Uh, so, f- firstly, uh, it was just really great to see that the conference had invited such an eminent geneticist uh, and that he had accepted and come to speak to us. Uh, and Stilianos is a professor of genetic medicine um, at the University of Geneva Medical School. Uh, and he made the very important point that um, really um, the human genome sequencing was only completed at the beginning of this year. Uh, and I think that, that most people you know, are kind of under the impression that we we sequenced it back in 2003. Um, At that point, we were still missing about um, a good 15% of the the genome. Uh, And I think, again, one of the uh, really quite stunning points and very, very pertinent to our field in terms of pre-implantation genetic testing uh, for Mendelian disease is that um, as of now, we've identified about 4,907 protein-coding genes. Uh, we've still got nearly another 10,000 to discover. So with that in mind, um, you know, it's, we're going to have quite an interesting next few years within the wider genetic field as well as within PGT. Um, how do you think, as we find these new coding sections that will influence PGT? Oh, for myself as an embryologist, one of the interesting things is if we're going to get to a point where a a large proportion of infertility uh, is described as unexplained, uh, and are we going to um, start to assign specific mutations to specific um, fertility etiologies? Are we going to do more genomic testing to diagnose specific infertilities and is that somehow going to lead to specific therapies or treatments for these patients uh, that that to me outside of the the scope for testing for more and more disease uh, is one of the really interesting points awesome thank you very much Colleen thank you So I'm now joined by Mike Large, PhD, who is Senior Director of Life Sciences Innovation. So Mike, you're a bit of an unexpected uh, speaker at the conference. Um, So you spoke on behalf of Josh about AI in PGT. And could you give us a brief overview of your talk at the conference? Sure. There was an entire session really focused on standardizing around PGTA and really looking at how we can leverage new tools to produce re, uh, robust and reproducible results. And of course, this is something that Cooper has been working on for a long time and really started with our inaugural AI platform where we use machine learning and artificial intelligence that was trained from samples with live birth known outcomes. Uh, we then over time, uh, because those AI platforms thrive with more data, we increased our sequencing depth and this allowed us to look at things like SNPs which of course brought our ability to find things like uh, female triploidy, for example. And this is important because uh, biopsies that are triploid can result in adverse outcomes like miscarriage and molar pregnancies. And then, of course, we we never rest on our laurels, and we've uh, yet increased our our data further uh, to really feed the AI. And now we're looking at the ability to look at uh, an embryo biopsy and whether or not it's related to mom and dad. And this 
we're finding provides a lot of our patients a lot of reassurance. Uh, through, uh, IVF is a very stressful time, and there are, unfortunately have been some big mix-ups in the news. And so a genetic process that links uh, those embryos to the parents is something that's been really assuring to them. Awesome. Thank you. And um, from the talks that you've been able to attend so far, have any really sparked your interest or maybe you found inspiring? Yeah, I was really excited to see how Emmanuel Viotti's data has been updated over years. I think he was the lead author on one of the largest mosaicism outcomes paper. And his study has been incorporated in the PGDIS uh, position statement this year, which I was really relieved to see because it's a really data-centric approach. Uh, and he's been able to nearly double the amount of data that he had uh, in the original outcome study. And really the trends are, are continuing to emerge and, and stay in line with what we initially thought, which is, of course, reassuring in this context. I think one of the other outcomes is that uh, what we've be been seeing over time is that uh, mosaic transfers can result in healthy outcomes, uh, and when they fail, they tend to fail uh, very early in pregnancy, uh, which is pretty consistent with what we're seeing, and it's emerging in the data. So uh, I was really excited to see that. Uh, one other area that's been talked a lot about is really the advancement of non-invasive techniques. Uh, while there have been a lot of studies that show biopsy that is well done on, on healthy quality embryos is not harmful, uh, there has been some promise in using techniques that do not require an embryo biopsy to screen and rank embryos. So we've seen over the years that, in fact, embryos can secrete DNA in the media, and we might be able to sample from the media. And we've seen some at times really uh, be very excited about the promise of this potential technology. And we've even seen some groups try to go to use this test with uh, actual patients. Uh, work that we've done really suggests that uh, the concordance rates, the actual accuracy of a non-invasive approach, is really quite inferior to a biopsy. Importantly, there's a lot of maternal DNA contamination that further confounds the, the, the results. And so we've taken an approach uh, in which this uh, really promising technology, but not quite ready for patients. And uh, when we look at some of the other groups who presented here at this conference, when they look from a DNA perspective, I think we heard a lot of caution. And very similar to how we've looked at it, they see promise in this test, but we also need to have some more breakthroughs and it needs to get better before we get patient use. And so I found that really reassuring in the face of some people who are really flirting with taking it to clinical use before it's ready. Thank you to Tony, Christine, Colleen, and Mike for taking some time to talk to me during the conference. And thank you for listening to the conversations that we had. Please note the views expressed by our guests are their own and their appearance on our podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Please like, share and comment and make sure to tune in to our next episode.